Welcome to Multi-Asset Investing, a podcast where leading experts explain the trends shaping your investment universe. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Bond markets have been a trouble spot in recent weeks as inflation fears drive a sharp increase in long-term yields. Should investors reduce their duration risk and seek shelter elsewhere, or should they hold steady and wait for the storm to pass? In this episode, Steve Shepard and Brittany Bauman of the Multi-Asset Solutions team offer valuable insights about the road ahead, taking a closer look at the credibility of inflation anxiety and offering inflation hedging strategies to help safeguard the portfolio. As a reminder, if you enjoy this episode, please remember to subscribe and share the podcast with your professional network. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change at any time without notice. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the BMO GAM Multi-Asset Solutions Podcast. My name is Steve Shepard, Director and Portfolio Manager with the Multi-Asset Solutions team, and I'm joined today by Brittany Bauman, one of our investment strategists, for a brief conversation about interest rates and inflation. Welcome, Brittany. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Great. Why don't we just jump right into it then? So we heard from the Federal Reserve and Jerome Powell last Wednesday. What was your overall impression of Powell's comments? Sure. Well, the meeting was really all about the Fed's stop plot, which in December showed no rate hikes through 2023. The Fed last week left that outlook unchanged. Despite two fiscal stimulus packages and the repricing in the fixed income market, which has pulled forward hikes. We think the Fed's new framework, which is essentially waiting for evidence of higher inflation in addition to tight labor markets before hiking, really explains this. The old Fed would have reacted to the stimulus and pulled forward hikes. The new Fed doesn't want to be preemptive, but instead wait out the data to reduce the risk of being disappointed by, say, a slow labor market recovery. So they're really being careful about putting the brakes on the bus, so to speak. They're more worried about getting the economic momentum to achieve escape velocity, I suppose, as opposed to raising rates too soon and potentially undermining all of the effort that they put into growing the economy so far. Would that be a fair summary? Absolutely. Um, Just being very extra careful um, and not being reactive. Okay. That's what I've heard quite a bit of too. And it seems like they're sticking very close to this narrative of being lower for longer. And I think that's being echoed by pretty much every central bank among developed countries uh, in the world. Do you think they really mean it? Or do you think that they will be forced by market forces and just how rapidly we're reopening to accelerate that timeline? And if they do, what is it that's going to make them accelerate? I would say that they mean it more than ever. Uh, There is a broad acceptance in G10 central banks that inflation is too low and that merely low unemployment may not be enough to lead to overheating. For the Fed, they want to actually see inflation rising above their 2% target to compensate for the past undershoot. So that's another condition for them to raise rates. 
on tapering, we think that they will taper asset purchases before that, before hiking. Um, but until they see that the labor market is much more healed. So for perspective in the U.S., a more realistic measure of unemployment shows that the unemployment rate is closer to 9%. So a long way to go, as Chair Powell would say. Okay. Well, that's very important to know that there are kind of shadow pieces of information that uh, it's important to read past the headlines, so to speak, and read to the next measure of a particular economic indicator. As you mentioned, uh, the unemployment rate, there's the headline number and obviously various more comprehensive measures that give perhaps a clearer picture of exactly what's happening to unemployment and how that might impact wage growth. So given that, uh, that position, Brittany, and how things will probably be lower for longer, that reminds me of the old saying, don't fight the Fed. What do you think this means for risk? This is still overall an ideal environment for risk assets in our view, uh, with low borrowing costs driving the recovery and also promoting reach for yield. This underpins our view of overweighting equities over fixed income. Now, getting back to your earlier question on uh, what would force the Fed's hand, I would add that what would force the Fed's hand on tapering, but not necessarily on hiking, is a very fast labor market recovery this year. Possible, but not our base case. Now, in terms of pulling forward hikes, most importantly is high inflation. By definition, that likely means inflation rising above 3% and then staying there. So that's a tall order to achieve. Now, the Fed says that they have the tools to deal with this. However, this could leave them in a very difficult position because raising rates abruptly would have potentially very negative consequences for equity valuations and corporate leverage. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Brittany. It seems like uh, people are really reacting to what they see on a day-to-day -day basis, and it's very important to remember that positioning your portfolio, reacting to the daily news headlines on a one-day or even a one-week basis can be quite dangerous. Uh, you've quoted a lot of measures that the market is looking at on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think you said something that's very important to remember. Even before the Federal Reserve starts even talking about raising rates, they obviously have their asset purchase programs to taper. And even before that, just the simple wording of their uh, quarterly meetings and any statements in between can have a great impact on resetting the expectations of the market and the pace at which those rates might accelerate if they do have to uh, get into the market and start reducing those programs a little bit faster, that will, again, take some of the froth off this market, uh, if I'm understanding you correctly. However, the market still seems pretty split between raging inflation and the idea that the market's exaggerating this point, if not the peak level, and I think you mentioned 3% inflation. The other question is how long that level really lasts. What piece of evidence really sways your thinking most one way or the other as to whether we're going to see a wholesale change to a higher level of inflation for, uh, you know, not the short term, but more of the medium to longer term, basically entering a new environment, so to speak, 
or the uh, opposite side of that coin would be a short-lived sugar rush uh, fueled spike of inflation that goes back down to what we've experienced over the past decade where uh, the Federal Reserve and the economy is really pushing to meet even that 2% target that was rarely met over the past decade. Yeah, we, we'd probably go with your your latter view there. Um, but let's back out for a second and think about pre-COVID, the concern was deflation. Uh, now the concern is inflation overheating. So it's important to first understand what has changed. And we recently published a piece discussing this new narrative and whether or not it's credible. In terms of what has change that now argues for high inflation regime, we are seeing record monetary and fiscal stimulus that was not present in past recoveries. Second, you have pandemic-related supply shortages. And finally, the Fed's new policy framework. So perfect storm, right? Now, I think it's best to start with a big picture view. Uh, High inflation really predates the 90s. Since then, central banks have embraced inflation targeting, and that was crucial in keeping inflation expectations anchored at 2%. We don't think the Fed's new framework jeopardizes that. Now, in terms of what could de-anchor these rock-solid expectations, um, is it record stimulus? Now, keep in mind that current stimulus is still plugging the very big hole in employment. So still a lot of slack in the economy. And it's mostly transfer payments, which we know have more one-off impacts on the economy and therefore do not translate to sustainably higher economic growth rates going forward. Supply shortages are also overplayed. Uh, The pass-through from producer prices to the consumer is historically very low. And if demand does bounce back sharply this year, supply will eventually catch up. So any inflation surge would prove temporary in that respect. This all suggests to us that seeing inflation rising sustainably above 3% may be hard to achieve when you also factor in all the structural long-term trends that have been weighing on inflation for decades and which are not going to be fully reversed in our view. So those include low economic growth rates thanks to aging demographics and low productivity, globalization, e-commerce, tech disruption, just to name a few. Absolutely. All great points. I think you've really hit the nail on the head when it comes to the nature of some of these supply shortages. The most immediate that comes to my mind was the, uh, the shutdown of some refineries as a result of the, uh, the winter weather that they experienced in Texas um, and just how that impacted the industry, even just based on that short-term blip in the weather. We've seen similar shortages in terms of semiconductors as well and how that impacts not just necessarily hardcore technology companies, but even the mainstream auto manufacturers. There have been several several assembly lines that were forced to shut down just based on the just-in-time nature of the global economy and how even the weather and certainly a global pandemic has upset some of those supply lines. 
as we reopen more aggressively with uh, the distribution of the vaccine, I think it's reasonable to expect that we might see that occurring in uh, more industries and certainly more regions of the world. So thank you for that, Brittany. My last question is, given all this uncertainty and that obviously no one has a crystal ball as to what happens with regard to the economy, um, and also arguably under this new framework that the Fed is adopting, uh, there's an old saying that says the most dangerous word in investing is it's different this time. But I think uh, based on your comments, I think it's certainly uh, obvious that obvious that, that there are a lot of new things happening that we didn't have to take into account in previous downturns. So given all this, Brittany, what are some of your thoughts in terms of positioning a portfolio in such an environment, not just for the short-term volatility, but more importantly, over the medium and long-term for long-term investors? Right. So one thing we, we emphasize in the piece is staying focused on longer-term dynamics when positioning. And one of our highest convictions remains to be overweight equities over fixed income. So that's very important. Now, inflation isn't actually bad for equities, I would point out. It's really when inflation starts running above 3% or so that it can be a problem. Still, I think the bottom line on inflation right now is that uncertainty is arguably higher. And inflation is like likely to pick up this year, partly on a lot of the, the supply shortages, as, as you point out, uh, and just the economic reopening. So adding technical positions or hedges in your portfolio is important, especially for fixed income heavy investors. For example, one can overweight tips, uh, treasury inflation protected securities, especially given that higher uncertainty over inflation means that the inflation risk premium should be higher. In equities, overweighting sectors that outperform when inflation is rising, we like energy materials uh, against defensives like stables and utilities. Overweighting tech is also attractive right now. Earnings, for one, continue to shine and the sector does tend to outperform under rising inflation um, as these companies have stronger pricing power. Uh, you can also buy real assets like an infrastructure fund. And finally, gold. Uh, that is your traditional inflation hedge, but we think might work better later in the cycle, less so in early recoveries when real yields start rising as they are now. So that's how I would look at it. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for those thoughts. Um, as you pointed out, there's more than one way to skin a cat when it comes to inflation hedging. And I think it's important for investors to take a breath and realize that a little bit of inflation, particularly after coming out of a global recession, is actually a good thing to see. So with regard to a portfolio positioning, obviously there's a number of things that investors and advisors can do. Uh, with their investment portfolios, but it's important to remember that a little bit goes a long way. When you're positioning a portfolio, you don't want to use every tool necessarily uh, at their maximum in terms of hedging against that inflation risk, but you do want to make uh, your portfolio a little bit more insulated against the tail risk of either a 
sudden surge of inflation that's supported by excess activity in the economy. But by the same token, you don't want to go overboard. And I know the one tool that a lot of advisors have been leaning on or focused on is the duration of fixed income. Bonds still play a very important role in a portfolio, counteracting that equity volatility. But if you throw all of the duration uh, overboard, so to speak, where you go to a maximum short of duration based on whatever your investment parameters, well, the analogy I use for that is basically it's like throwing the parachutes out of the airplane just so you can go a little bit faster. It may not be necessarily a great idea. Well, why don't we stop there? I think that's a great conversation for our first episode. I want to thank everybody that took the time to dial in and join us today. Special thank you to Brittany for uh, providing such wonderful information. We hope this has been of interest and use to you, and we look forward to having you back again next time on our next podcast. Have a great day. Thank you to Steve Shepard and Brittany Bauman for joining us on the Multi-Asset Investing Podcast. To learn more about today's topic or other views from the Multi-Asset Solutions team, please reach out to your BMO professional. See you next time on Multi-Asset Solutions. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if applicable, all may be associated with investments in mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. Please read the fund facts, ETF facts, or prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.